Hello and welcome to another episode of PC Speaking. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I will be your guide as we travel the globe looking for what's old and gold as well as what's new and true. We explore the realms of spirituality, well-being, and whatever else happens to catch our fancy along the way. I'm the pastor of a Christian church in possession of a set of well-studied and thought-out beliefs, but I want to hear what's on your heart and mind, even when it's different to what's on mine. Now, it should go without saying, but if you're someone who needs to hear it, here it is. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of the person expressing them, not necessarily yours or mine. If you feel triggered and your blood pressure starts to rise, then hit the pause button, take a deep breath, and scroll on by. With that in mind, sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Yeah, well, welcome, Mark. Hey, how do you say your last your last name? Sorry, it's Nuss. Nuss. All right. Yeah. Cool. Mark Nuss from Destiny Rescue. Um, I don't know. Well, if thanks, I don't, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Glad you're here. Um, I don't know. Uh, um, a lot of people that listen to the podcast may not know what uh, Destiny Rescue is, so maybe we could just start with kind of an explanation of. Uh, who Destiny Rescue is, what Destiny Rescue is, and what you guys do there. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give a short intro and then we can delve in deeper. Um, so Destiny Rescue is a not-for-profit organization that got started over 19 years ago um, in Australia, here in Queensland specifically. And um, what we do is we operate in eight different countries internationally, mostly in Southeast Asia, uh, because uh, and we operate in the in the sex trafficking side of things, uh, what we do is we go undercover in these different nations into bars and brothels and any dingy dark hole that we can find. And we look for children that have been trafficked into these establishments, uh, into the sex industry. And so once we find these children, we rescue them out of those places and we take them to our rescue centers where they get medical care, trauma counsel. And then we set them up on an individualized pathway of freedom, which for every child looks different, but it includes uh, in it uh, um, um, education, vocational training, and different different ways of setting them up so that they can end up choosing their own destiny, not the one they were railroaded into. So, and like I said, we operate in eight different countries, uh, mm. um, mostly Southeast Asia. The reason why mostly Southeast Asia, because 74% of all children trafficked in the sex industry actually is, is in, those, uh, in those areas, in those countries where we operate in. If people go on our website, they'll see there's some disclosed nations and undisclosed nations. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's, uh, um, that's, that's well, and I, I know there's, there's always, you know, talk about this kind of thing that goes on, but you guys are right in the middle of it. And well, I suppose one thing I should say up front is obviously, and you've kind of already covered it is this could be a, a delicate topic for some folks. Oh, um, definitely. And, and we're not really going to censor what we talk about just to let people know up front. But um, in you guys are a charity organization, right? It's not like you're police. It's not like you're funded by the government or anything like that. You're funded by uh, donors and, and it totally charity work that, volunteers. Yes, that's right. So we're, we're, we're a Christian not-for-profit organization. So we, 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 we don't get funding from any governments or any even you know any big corporates or anything we're 100 percent funded mostly by moms and dads is are the donors so we are a 
in which uh, we registered as a tier one not-for-profit. So that's the IRS registration you can get. So our donations are tax deductible um, and we get audited every year. But we also throw our financials actually on our on our we- actual website. And um, if people go on it, they'll see um, we're sitting at around 81% of all funds raised goes where it's supposed to go. And then that remaining small percentage is, is what, you know, wages and admin costs and so forth. So mm-hmm. we, we try and run a lean ship in that sense. And, um, but yeah, we're a 100% not-for-profit organization. Although we, we all help other countries and we help their police forces, et cetera, we, we do not get any funding from any of them. Um, so yeah, all 100% donations. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about it again at the end of mm-hmm. uh, our conversation. But if someone is interested in supporting you guys, um, say financially, uh, how yeah. do they go about doing that? Well, the best is if they go to our website, which www.destinyrescue.org.au. And and in it, there will be a donate uh, function. So there's two ways. I'll just you know, just quickly hop onto two different donations. They can do either monthly donations. So they, they there's different amounts they can pick or they can create their own. Uh, on the It's all on the website and they can say, all right, I want to give X amount every month. So that really helps us with cash flow because then you can plan more when you know you've got monthly donations coming through. Mm. Or people can do one-offs. And, you know, uh, I'll probably hop into the details of what I explained, but we've got, for example, uh, um, uh, what we call to COVID rescues and COVID rescues is where we rescue children one out at a time out of these these places we find them in, and those rescues on average cost us about a thousand five hundred, and then mm-hmm. we've also got raid rescues, which is where we actually organise special police force units in the different countries to come and actually do a raid with us. We mm-hmm. gather all the information undercover, and that costs us around ten thousand dollars. But with that, we shut down the place. Everybody that's been trafficked in that in, in that place gets uh, um, rescued, and um, the managers and people involved in it get taken into custody. Oh, so wow. those are the two main options. <laughs> Sounds like money well spent. Uh, something popped into oh, my mind. Okay. We we had a, a brief conversation the other day. I had a lot of questions, but I was like, "Oh, I'll save these for the podcast." But um, yeah, um, one of the questions that that came to mind it was well and you mentioned something about it It was actually during covid that surprised me was that this this industry i guess that's the word you use for it Mm. it didn't actually slow down um which shocked me no Um, so 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 what happened is is a lot of these criminal organizations that actually traffic these children into sex trafficking and and just for your viewers um Destiny Rescue, I'll just take one step back, just to give you a bit of context here. Mm-hmm. Destiny Rescue um, has been going for 19 years. 2011, we started really keeping clear records of all our rescues because at that stage, we were branch building and growing into other countries and we would do so much, but we realized we had to keep clear records. From 2011, we started really keeping clear records. Since 2011 up to now, we've rescued over 6,200 uh, individuals far from traffic, sex trafficking. And, and so, and we thought when COVID hit that like a lot of people, so international travel will slow down because a lot of this is fueled by international travel from the point of view that into these countries, you get people flying from all over the world, mostly Westerners, West, uh, West, Westerners and mostly Western men flying as sex tourists into these countries. Like mm-hmm. in 2009, 
2009-2010, the um, Sydney Morning Herald uh, had worked out that uh, um, uh, they did their own research and just out of Australia alone, uh, uh, going into Thailand, they worked out that 100,000 men that year traveled for sec for the purely for the purpose of sex tourism to Thailand alone that year. And, and that's just that out of Australia? That's just out of Australia and also just to Thailand. So that doesn't include Cambodia, Vietnam, or all these other countries. Now multiply that with men flying from in all over the world. And I had the privilege in our discussion last time, I had a privilege to go undercover with our undercover, uh, permanent undercover teams into these bars and brothels. And while you're there, you, you hear guys from Russia, from America, from Germany, from England, from all over the world that are flying into these countries for purely for the purpose of sex tourism, sex tourism. So, you know, the World Labour Organization in 2016 worked out that there was about a million children in this sex trafficking component alone. Um, and, and the sex traffic, the illegal sex industry is a $99 billion a year industry, mm -hmm. which if, you know, to put it in context, you put in the turnover, combined turnover of Nike and of Coca-Cola and a few of those organizations together, to even come close to that figure. So wow. it is all about money. So going back to your original question about the COVID times, we we initially thought, okay, flights are being canceled, slow down, traffic, you know, we'll see a lull in it. But the, these operators, these illegal operators, you want to put it, these traffickers, would be brilliant businessmen if they were actually dealing with legitimate products. They were so quick to adjust. And to change their business model. So what they, a lot of them started doing was created closed social media groups because there's mm -hmm. a lot of, in these countries, not all Westerners left these countries. So you would have a lot of uh, um, expats living in these different countries who still, um, still wanted to have sex with children. So they created these closed media, social media groups, and then would send children all across the country for, throughout within their clients and this close media group. So we had to adjust and our guys had to actually work a way out and were successful in infiltrating these closed media groups, uh, social media groups. And then also what these guys also did is in some places, the bars on the front will look like it's closed, but in the back, they still had a, you could still get in the back. It was still operating nearly like little business as usual. So mm -hmm. our guys had to find a way of also infiltrating that as well. And then another big, big thing that's really been a growth area, and that's the area that really forced our hand to really get involved in it, is, is online sexual exploitation of children. These guys, what they did is, well, because here they still had the children, so what they would do is they would then basically create pornographic material molesting these children and selling it on the dark web uh, mm. um, to pedophiles all over the world. And wow. in that arena has been a real, unfortunately, a growth area, especially during the COVID times. Mm -hmm. And so that, 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 that kind of, you know, forced us, it was something we were getting into, but forced us to really actually start going into those arenas. And, um, and therefore, we were still able to rescue 751 individuals last year, even with all the COVID restrictions whatsoever. And mm -hmm. If you don't mind, if, if I can share um, a story of our first actual online sexual exploitation case last year, was just before the final flights got shut down. And I've just got to warn the, your, your listeners and viewers that this, this is going to be uh, sensitive material here, but this is the reality we face. So, you know, we've mm -hmm. got to talk about yep. it. And our first case was 
um, the English police in England raided a suspected pedophile's um, house and they found um, child pornographic material on his uh, mobile phone. And one video they found, there was this two-year-old boy being molested by his stepdad. The whole thing mm -hmm. was videoed and, and he bought it on the dark web. And then what happened is the, um, so the police in, in England had that, but they could only work out that it was in the Philippines. They couldn't work out where or who. So they contacted the National Bureau of Investigation in the Philippines who we do a lot of raids with, and they ended up contacting us. So we, our agents then started infiltrating certain dark websites looking for where this came from, and we were able to find the, the, the right um, website that this um, video was purchased from and started interacting with the actual stepdad who, who posted it on there, who was selling it. Because he was not only just selling it, but also he was wanting to also sell his two-year-old uh, stepson to for pedophiles to fly in and to come and molest his child for for a fee mm. and so because the flights were you know we were coming you know COVID was really starting to kick in but there were still international flights and our guys um um organized and made out a, as if we were a pedophile flying in from australia who wanted to come and, uh, and molest his son and so we, uh, with the National Bureau of Investigation and also the English police, we actually organized the sting operation at a hotel. And we actually cleared out the hotel of all civilians and set up this meeting with this gentleman. And so a lot of undercover, our guys were undercover as well as National Bureau of Investigation. And the, the, I believe there was two um, officers from the English uh, police were there. And anyway, there's this long story short, the stepdad, brought his child over, received money for us, for, for our guy to go and supposedly take him up up the room, up into the hotel room and go and molest him. And mm -hmm. once uh, once he handed over the child to our undercover agent, um, the, immediately we, we created a human barrier between him and the child uh, with our agents and the police, and he got taken into custody, as well as the mother, because she was also involved in this whole operation. So... Mm. it's that's the and and unfortunately you know i would have would love to say that was the only but our guys have got many such cases we're working on as well and so mm. covert yes that's created uh, it's created a slowdown maybe from people flying in but it hasn't slowed down the this industry and um mm. one of the other areas that we also saw growth in was uh, um, uh, um we we operate in nepal and a possible preventative work because what happens, a lot of Nepalese girls get trafficked across into some of the neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've got a border, uh, we're not the only ones to do it, but we've got border patrols. And we've got at least, um, I think we're sitting now close to uh, 14 border stations, which we actually, our personnel man it and they, they basically they allowed to go onto a bus and ask people to be removed if they suspect there's a trafficking that these children are going to be trafficked and and they'll interview them and find out why they want to cross over the border and so we've stopped so many being trafficked across because nepal unfortunately is a hot spots for traffickers luring because of their poverty levels there luring um, uh, young teenagers and even young girls across uh, to to the neighboring countries and once they go there they disappear for good there they they traffic into sex trafficking into uh, and you know some of the worst cities are just on the other side of the border 
And um, we operate in some of these countries, but we cannot mention them mm -hmm. um, because of political sensitive reasons. But yes, yeah. so um, that's in short <laughs> what was still mm. happening while with all these COVID restrictions. And even under these COVID restrictions, this year, we're already sitting on, uh, um, we, we're already sitting on, on um, just, just over uh, um, 500 rescues. So wow. we definitely, we're, we're on, on track to, it's 505 actually just from last week. And uh, so we're on track to, to, to definitely rescue probably over 1,200 plus this year. Wow. And that's still yeah. with all of these COVID restrictions. Um, one thing that, that strikes me about this is there's so much money involved in that, that it seems like those kids that are being trafficked would be a a valuable commodity, but from our previous conversation, that doesn't seem to be the case. When you know how they view the value. Yes. So, so yes. So, if I can give an example, is um, if I can step maybe one step back and give you a, a, a store an example of, and then refer back to the value system. So, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these uh, these criminal organisations have worked out very quickly that. That's why trafficking is, is the, um, the trafficking is the fastest growing illegal industry in the world, and it's the second largest legal industry in the world. Because, for example, if I'm say I'm a, a drug a drug producer, right? So usually mm -hmm. I'm in the in hidden away somewhere or in a real dingy uh, part of the world, and 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 I'm creating my drug supplies. However, it is, but I've got the thing this to get it to my end user. I've got this whole supply chain I've got to go through. To get it to the end user and the end user will use it uh, will finally get it and then use it and then the whole process is going to start over again through this whole mm -hmm. supply chain and the user uses again etc where these guys that worked out they can take a child and they don't have to move this child anywhere but to have that child right there in their own country and people will fly in from all over the world to come and abuse that child so for them from that point of view it's a great monetary you know great inverted commas business system Mm -hmm. But they truly only see that child as a commodity. And so if I can, I'll just give an example here. Um, uh, uh, I'll give an example of, of this, uh, 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 of, of, um, of one, one of our COVID rescues. And we've got thousands of stories. But mm -hmm. um, I'll just talk about Cassie. And Cassie, we've spoken about Cassie because she is, it simplifies what a lot of our girls go through. And so everybody's story is obviously different. Everybody's got different backgrounds and different things that happen with them. But it's, it's, it's literally, uh, um, the, the, uh, it's, it's, uh, this will exemplify just a lot what a lot of these girls go through. So with Cassie, she was from a village and, um, and her, her dad, her, she was part of seven siblings. Her parents were farmers and things just weren't going really well at that time. And she was a 14-year-old girl, very naive, you know, didn't, didn't know anything about sex or relationships, even was just so focused on helping the family and also with her education. And her parents just said at the age of 14, say, Cassie, you've got to help us. We're barely feeding the whole family. Can you go and find some work to help the family? So Cassie then, out of the goodness of her heart, wanting to the drive, wanting to help her family, she went into the local town where she met with one of her friends and uh, her school friends and said, hey, I need to find work. Where do you think I can find work? And her friends said, also naively said, 
well, why don't you go into the bigger city? I'm sure you can find work there, you know, at a restaurant, washing dishes or anything like that. And so she, she hitched the lift um, on, on the back of a truck or in the Australian vernacular uh, on the back of a ute and drove into the closest city. And, um, and this was about three hours drive uh, away. And she finally got there and the, and the truck just dropped her off at what they call a bus stop. But bus stop, it's not the same what we would understand it. It's basically a drop-off point and then like half moon shape around it, surrounded by all these bars. And now, uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of, all these bars aren't just bars. They're also basically, under, you know, un, uh, underground uh, um, brothels. And so... Mm-hmm. So what happened is um, Casey got dropped off, didn't know really where to go next. And next minute, this mama son. Now, mama son is just a term that we use for a female manager of establishment of a bar. And so this mama son came walking out um, and walked up to Cassie, introduced herself, asked her what, you know, you know, is she lost? Is she all right? And she said, oh, well, she just came in. She wants looking for work. And the mama said, oh, you know, your lucky day. Why don't you come and work for me at my bar? My bar's just right there. And and come and work at the bar. And Cassie had no idea what that meant. And she just said, you know, all you have to do is just, you know, uh, uh, um, talk to customers at the bar. And, you know, every now and then maybe go on a date. And Cassie, like even date was a foreign concept for her. Mm. And so so she went in not, you know, thinking, oh, you know, this is a job. Still didn't really understand what it meant, but went in. The, the mama son took her in, and then she took her into um, through the bar, and then took her into a bedroom. Um, and 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 she took her in and said, "Listen, uh, you'll start work tonight. There's the clothes that I want you to wear for the bar work." And and closed the door behind her. And then when she saw on the bed, there was just this single bed in this room, and on this bed was this skimpy little outfit. And so that made her already kind of uncomfortable and thinking, wait a minute, why does she have to wear this? Mm. And now this is where I've got to warn your uh, viewers, got some sensitive material coming through here as well again. Um, So what I'm going to explain to you now, this not didn't only happen once to Cassie, but this happened at least five times. Mm -hmm. So what happened is next minute, the door opens and four men walk in and and basically start to gang rape her. Mm. Now, Cassie started in the beginning, started fighting back. Obviously, this was, you know, fighting back, fighting for her life. And these guys beat her up till she submitted. And then basically for the rest of the evening into the morning, gang raped her. But mm. here's the thing, that right at that moment of her most vulnerable, most humiliating moment in her whole life, they were videoing it at the same time. Mm. And they were using that material they sold on pornographic pornographic websites across the world. Mm. So not only did they totally violate her, but they sold this. So now she, and they used that also overhead saying they're going to show this to her family and they're going to do the same thing to her family, to you, to be able to control her. So from that moment, she was forced to sell a 14-year-old body to... Dirty Johns that fly in from all over the world. So men that flew in from all over the world to have sex with them. And 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 by the time we found her, we found this girl that was filled with fear, but she was forced to do something she never dreamed she had to do. Mm-hmm. And 
we're now agents founder. We were undercover acting like we were sex tourists in this bar. And we started talking with Cassie and then uh, uh, along the process, we actually offered her to, to if she wanted to be rescued. Now, uh, she, she said yes. And so we booked her out. So the process is you go to the bar and you pay a bar fine. And so we booked her out there. So we were going to sleep with her in the hotel room. And as soon as we booked her out, we disappeared with her and took her to our rescue center. And a lot, what we do with a lot of the rescue centers, when we've got a new girl coming in, we'll actually notify the other girls so that they who have been rescued already that's there in our care to come out and meet the new girl. And so uh, when we arrived into, you know, when we arrived into the rescue center, uh, um, and as soon as she saw these other girls, she was so elated and, you know, nearly over the top, you know, just just filled with joy, but just totally over the top. And and then we went and showed her to her her, her bed. And, and she, and this is what happens to a lot of our girls. She slept for two days flat wow. without just slept and slept and slept. Because if you think of it, here's the first time they can sleep in safety and not worrying what's those footsteps coming down the hallway, mm, not yeah. worrying what's that noise uh, uh, um, on the door mm. or who worried who's coming through that door. So she just slept for two days. And then finally, when she did all of that, we started debriefing her and, you know, we, we, we then get our social workers to talk through with, with, with these girls. And, and part of the social workers just said, you know, your, your expression, we understand the joy, but it was just felt like it was really over the top nearly. When, when you when you arrived at our center and she 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 admitted she said when these guys offered me to rescue me I actually still didn't really believe them because my trust had been broken so much I I didn't trust anybody mm-hmm. but things were that bad for me that I was still willing to take a chance and I didn't know whether these guys were just taking me to a worse place or were even going to kill me but things were just that bad I just was willing to take that chance mm-hmm. and so that for me is what a lot of our goals go through. So to answer your original question, going back to these guys with the, they see these girls, these bar owners purely as a commodity. That's why we can go back to the same bars that we rescued girls from and still rescue more. Like one of our rescuers, uh, 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 he came after one of another rescue that happened and, um, and, and the mama's son came to him and said, Man, you must be the unluckiest guy because every girl you seem to be interested in just goes away, disappears. <laughs> because, but for them, there's no difference between selling a bottle of beer or selling that child. Mm. Yes, that child brings a lot of money for them, but the value of that child for them, if that child goes missing, they don't go looking for that child. It's for them like they broke a bottle of beer. It's a bit irritating for, for a couple of seconds, but that's it. No, they'll just chill. They'll go look for another one. And, wow. and that's why for us, I never thought I would be living in a society where a little human life is seen 100% as a commodity. There's no, yes, that life brings a lot of money in for them. And it's a very successful business. But the value, if they lose that life, means nothing to them. It's like a bottle of beer that's broken. Mm. Yeah. Are there any, um, do they like uh, Destiny Rescue is an Australian based organization? Um, yeah, we got started out of Australia. Yes. Uh, so mm-hmm. our heads by a gentleman called Tony Kerwin. Mm-hmm. And the genesis there was he was actually in Thailand 
and overheard two guys bragging about being offered a child to have sex with. And that really, that really affected him, him having, and he at that stage had young daughters himself. Mm-hmm. And so when he started looking into it, realized what a big problem it actually was. And, and in, in, you know, in, in praying to God, you know, about it was like, you know, somebody's got to do something about it. And God was like, yes, mm. no, <laughs> we, is there, we, as the body have to do something about it. Yeah, for sure. Is, is there some, is, is there, does that happen in Western culture as well? Like you say, in yes. Australia, yes, US unfortunately, like I, I would love to say, no, it doesn't happen in the U S and in, in Australia and Western cultures, but it does. In, in Europe, you've got people that are trafficked not only from Asia, but also actually physically trafficked in Eastern Europe into, in, into the more affluent European countries. Um, mm-hmm. In America, there's also trafficking that happens. In Australia, there is as well. The, the, obviously, we've got better police uh, 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 organizations like the FBI in Australia and the federal police that, that, that do monitor and obviously try and bring a hold to it. But does it happen? It still definitely happens. We... We as um, uh, Destiny Rescue actually put the federal police onto a case that we had uh, uh, come across our path in WA years ago, and they were able to 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 launch a raid on it and stop that. And also in Australia, you know, in America, you probably got similar things, but in Australia, for example, uh, we've got these uh, um, these massage parlors that have popped up in a lot of the cities and. The mm-hmm. non-legitimate ones, and you'll mm-hmm. find a lot of them have have um, students from overseas. When I say students, that's how they came into the country. Students from overseas working in there. But we, uh, you know, there are cases of where where these schools they come and they come to study from you know from different countries. And what happens then is the guys that organize for them maybe initially paid for them to come over, and then when they arrive here, they take their passports and they say and their visas, and they basically say. Hey, you've uh, you've got to work this off, and this is how you're going to work it off. So otherwise, you know, you're you're illegally. We've got your passports. So does it happen to the scale it happens in Southeast Asia and those places? No, but uh, we've we've come across a few cases which we've then uh, um, grew attention to the to the actual authorities. But nothing is close. Like I said, seventy four percent of all sex trafficking happens in Asia Pacific room. And that's why we mm. operate in these countries. We also operate mm. in Dominican Republic um, uh, and also now in Uganda as well. So Uganda okay. was a bit different. It's That was because of, we were planning to get there, but because of the Lord's resistance, LRA, the Lord's resistance army, got nothing to do with God, but it's this guy that was actually forcing children to be child soldier. The Ugandan mm. army has been having some victories against them. And suddenly you've got all these kids that are coming out and, not enough aid organizations to help uh, secure and play, find a place for them. So they end up in the streets in, in Kampala and, and some other northern cities. And unfortunately, the traffickers have taken over. So we've had to jump in and start rescuing straight away. So for us, that's nearly like a Nehemiah project where we, you know, the shovel in the one hand and the sword in the other hand. We, mm. We're building, as, building and rescuing as we go. Yeah. So you guys, it sounds like you're really busy. Um, is it's we, we say are you are you guys like looking for for uh do you need people to be involved um is that because it seems like that would be kind of a 
a, a process that someone would have to go through to do something like that, because it seems to me that you would need a certain temperament and self-control. And there's a lot that would go into being someone who actually goes into someplace and, and rescues children like this. Oh, definitely. Um, what, what we have is people, you know, we, we would, we joke, kind of joke, this is a running joke here with us, uh, is, is that we're a bunch of plumbers and electricians <laughs> and people from all walks of life. It's A lot of times people immediately think, oh, we've got military background or police background, but we, we don't. But do we get, uh, but we get trained up by ex-military uh, guys and we get a lot of training. We probably get more training than a lot of police uh, internationally get uh, trained up in. But so we've got a separate training arm that our guys go through. So when people feel they really want to get involved, they, they start with the application process. But it will go through quite a lengthy application process because we've got a. We also do police checkups and and police clearance and all of these things to make sure that the individual asking to come work for us is is legit. And then also they go through our training arm where we can see whether they've got the right temperament to do it. Because in the end of the day, when we go undercover, our best defense is to actually act the part, look like we meant there. So we've got guys, you know, I've had the privilege to go with uh, with our permanent guys undercover on a few in Cambodia and in Thailand. and But we've got undercover guys from this, guys from America, Australia, England, and even uh, South African. Uh, so this different guys and different from different parts of the world which is basically which shows that sex tourists are all from different parts of the world so mm-hmm. it's actually good having that diversity but yes it, it takes a certain personality type and temperament um we train the guys up well to go undercover we learned a lot of lessons what not to do so now mm-hmm. we've really know you know in the early days our guys had knives pulled out on them and etc so very quickly learned what not to do um, and but God's God's protection and graces and mercy has always been there. And and if I can just share from my point, uh, um, is is uh, when 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 I went with the uh, permanent undercover team undercover in um, this was in Thailand, and and we were in a real seedy bar that had like two levels and and like literally it felt like just chaos all around you. And and you and you had guys doing things with girls right in front of you, like they weren't even bothering going to, to to hotel rooms. They were right there doing things, and so, but but you we always we it's always about that girl that's sitting next to you, because you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do something foolish that will actually expose the whole thing and and that child will lose the opportunity to be rescued, yeah. and. And for me is that was for me a real crucial moment was for me was when I was sitting with this girl and sitting next to her and just talking to her. And she's not realizing, but I'm kind of interviewing and talking to her. And and um only way I can explain it, and I know this has happened with some of the other with the permanent undercover guys. Um, but I was sitting next to this girl, and the only way I can explain it, it was it was this I felt the father's heart for this girl. Um, there's there's a a preacher who's not with us anymore that I I, I really love listening to. He's read his books and his materials, but he explained that he was once working on a a trawler there in America in the Gulf, and it Mm -hmm. was a shrimp trawler. And Mm -hmm. on the shrimp trawler, he was uh, um, 
uh, uh, um, they were out shrimping and next minute this massive storm that can only like what you guys have there in the Gulf hit this this vessel and they couldn't get to a harbor and so they were left in the storm and it was just a ferocious storm and and obviously he and like he he also said he said it's amazing when storms hit or you know there's no atheists in foxholes they say <laughs> or in, yeah. when storms hit he said everybody was calling out to God you know and the storm but you know mm-hmm. God protected them and they they came out unscathed. But he said when he was pondering about it afterwards, he felt like God was using that storm as example for him, saying that that ferocious storm, that's how my love is towards my children and to all my children. That, and, and, and he was talking about the concept about the ferocious love of God. And so for me sitting there, the only way I can explain this is just I felt bubbling up from the inside, but just nearly a cocoon around the two of us. Suddenly, like we were the only ones in that, in that mayhem that I was sitting there in this, in this brothel bar slash brothel is that it was just this cocoon of this intense love for this girl. And I could sense the father's heart after this girl. Mm-hmm. And just like clearly these just words reverberating through my soul that I am, I am serious and ferociously after these, each one of these children. They're my children. And, I, and it's nearly like I could feel the personal intent of God, the Father, wanting to say that what we do in the end is just we are tools of his love reaching out and saving these kids. God is still a God that saves. You know, when you talk in Isaiah 61, when Jesus said, the, the you know, the uh, um, spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the things he said to set the captives free, God's still in the business of setting captives free. So sitting next to the school, I just experienced this intense love. And I knew it was the love of the father for the school. And she next minute, she just fell asleep on sound, beautiful, peaceful sleep in this mayhem on my shoulder. She just slumped into my shoulder. And in that moment, just went into this deep sleep. And, and, and I saw this mama son running towards me because the, and I just took some money and threw it at her and just said, please go away. For me, that was like a real holy moment. That's the only way I can explain. Mm. And so in the middle of this, and just showed me the father's heart after each one of these children, because he's got a destiny for each one. And that's why mm-hmm. we call destiny rescue is to rescue them out of, uh, which is for me is living hell and getting to them to on a, uh, rescue them and rescue them, getting them to, on a pathway where they end up fulfilling the destiny that the father's got. for. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So what's, what's that process like? I mean, you've actually done it, you know, from your preparation for that to actually going into actually rescuing that girl. What's, what's that process you go through to do that? Yeah. So, so for me, it was probably different than our permanent other guy, undercover guys because our permanent undercover guys are literally there seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So if you think of the, it, 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 it can be pretty hard going into these places and seeing what these girls have got to go through. And in some of these places, uh, our, our guys go is really horrific. You'll have a basically a real dingy, nearly like a dirt floor and you'll have little curtains and, and these, uh, and basically when you pull back each curtain in just this big room where they serve alcohol and everything, but then these little curtains, and you've just got a mattress lying on the floor. So you get situations like this to where there's situations like in some of our, our um, undisclosed nations that, that 
you get multi-generational uh, victims. So mm. the, 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 original, uh, the original child would have been trafficked there. And then over time, people sleep with them. And then she gives birth to a child. That child is born within that system, never to be let out. And then mm. that child grows up. So we, we've been in places where there's multi-generational uh, traffic victims. And mm. all their life consists of every day is far different people coming in and having sex with them and leaving. And they don't get the opportunity to leave. So mm. to deal with that, uh, it, it's there was preparation work where uh, it, it's a lot about explaining what we're going to expect when you walk into those. But also part of the prep work, because I don't want to give too much away from what we do, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But part of that is, is just the whole mindset of actually taking on the role that your main role is going in there and truly acting like you're a sex tourist and basically embracing that role, if I can put it that way. So mm. that, and by embracing that role, you're not standing out. You just look like another dirty John that's walked in there. But we're, we've got very clear conduct rules, how we operate. And those things, obviously, I can't go into air about our tricks of the trade. Yeah, sure. But yeah, there is a there is a preparation process, and part of that is also mental preparation process. And that's why I always go. We're always be in groups when we go. It's never one person going on their own undercover. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's yeah. not part of the way we operate. But mm. uh, we've obviously got different variants how we do it. But um, yeah, just can't give a tell too much yeah. about what we yeah, do no. once we go undercover. Yeah, totally understand that. Um, you, you, you said there's so many kids that, that are, get caught into this or, or taken into this and what, what happens if they don't get rescued? Um, well, there... well, what, what happens with them is some of them gets like, we've rescued, it's, we've rescued some, we go after children, but we've also rescued adults because some of these, when we get across them, they've already been there like four or five years and they're already now 21. Mm. Um, so a lot of them will kind of be stuck in there. Um, few might get out, but a lot of them get stuck in there and then it becomes nearly, they become institutionalized that after a while they are so broken that they can't see any other way that that's the only way they can earn a living is doing that. And, Mm. just want to add with the bars, you know, you know, what people don't realize because even undercover, I heard a bar manager kind of bragging to me about, Oh, they, they help. They providing a life living lifestyle for all of these girls. And they wouldn't be able to, you know, feed themselves or their families if they weren't working here and, you know, kind of putting themselves off as these philanthropists. Maybe. Mm -hmm. But what they don't realize is we know how the system works. There. So the system is they'll traffic these uh, children in there, and they will also be adults in, 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 the, in, the, in the bars. But each one of them, whether a child or whether an adult, have got a budget they've got to meet every night. So we're talking seven days a week. They've got to meet this budget every day where they've got to sell X amount of alcohol. Uh, um, so they've got to get a – when they've got a customer sitting next to them, they, they then – quickly ask the customer to buy them something and the customer buy something. So they've got this budget of alcohol sales that could be every day. Mm. If they don't meet the full amount, if they don't meet that budget, that whole amount becomes a debt against them. So that then allows the bar owners when they, when they, you know, get a bar fine and get them to go and, you know, uh, you know, have sex with a customer that allows the bar owners to take most of that money anyway. 
because they didn't meet their budget for maybe this day or past two days or past three days. So the in a, in a sense, like in gambling, the house always wins. They've set up the system where they can basically now not only keep these girls in 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 um, uh, uh, um, there by fear and coercion, a whole bunch of other ways to keep them bound, but they also now utilize debt bondage as well. So this mm. debt bondage just keeps on going up and up, and so therefore they can keep these girls even when they're of age, just to still stay in there for a long, long time. And then in some of the um, some of the countries. Uh, um, Especially in a couple of undisclosed countries, is if there if the girls not you know there's unfortunately other things like um, uh, 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 children being forced if they no use in the one area they'll put them into uh, uh, like uh, um, uh, groups where they beg for money but they'll you know they'll maim girls they'll do different things so that they can get more money for begging. and mm. then there's things you know what people definitely don't want to even think about but organ harvesting. There's mm. so many different uh, forced labor, different things that they, that that, that some of these individuals end up in, and um, unfortunately, the figures aren't really out there that much because this is so hidden all of this. But the life expectancy isn't long for a lot of these children caught up in this. Um, at one stage, there was a guesstimation of seven years is the life expectancy if they've been trafficked in it, but. Uh, it's it's been very difficult to corroborate it, so we don't really readily use that as a, as a stat, because it's just nearly impossible to a lot of times find out. And then, unfortunately, you know, we've seen the unfortunate side of things. Like uh, in one of our, and this has happened to us, unfortunately, not just once but quite a few times. Is we we organised a raid at one place, and we knew how many children had been trafficked in this establishment. And and the raid was just held up for 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 uh, um, just uh, well. Unfortunately, in this case, I was waiting for just the right finances to come through just to complete the raid to bring it to completion. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the raid happened a couple of days late, and we went and rescued all the children. But there was one twelve-year-old girl missing. And when we started asking asking around about the girl, once again, like I said, just a commodity. Nobody really cared, so nobody went looking for her. So we hurriedly went looking for her and even got local police to go look for her. And unfortunately, her little 12-year-old body was found dumped in the alleyway, just dumped like a piece of garbage in the alleyway. Mm. Um, and what happened is four men had booked her out, took her to a hotel room and raped her and killed her and just dumped her little body. The mm. owners of the bar never even looked for her, didn't even bother that she was missing. So yeah. unfortunately, we've come across that, and that's part of what really drives a lot of our guys is is the ones that we potentially can miss, and we don't want to miss each anyone mm-hmm. because each child deserves to walk in the freedom that God's got for them, to walk in the freedom of the destiny He's got for them, to be able to. None of these girls, like I mean, we've like I said, uh, we we've we rescued over six thousand two hundred plus now individuals. Um, since 2011, none of these. When we when you talk to them, none of them grow up thinking, "Oh, this is what I want. This is what's going to happen with my life one day, or this is what I want to go and do." None of them. They, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 might. A lot of them might come from poverty, but they've got dreams and desires just like any of our children. And so, for me, and you know, I've got I've got my own girls. You know, the youngest is 11 and 12, and then we've. 
uh, I've got two older ch uh, children as well. And I'm thinking, you know, but for the grace of God, if we were living in a different country and and something something would happen, and for me, it's like if something would happen to one of my girls, what would I do to try and get that girl back to find that girl? Mm. I would <laughs> I would literally turn the whole world upside down to find my daughter. So how? Yeah, and of course. course, so for us, we so we see a lot of these girls. A lot of these girls aren't just the number; they're somebody's daughter. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's very personal, you know, and like Elmo, who's our head of our Philippines operation, um, you know, the thing, one of his things that stood out for him was uh, one of his first rescues, he rescued this girl and she's, she was around 13, 14 as well. And, and, and he rescued, you know, she was one of the girls that they rescued and she was so happy with when the rescue happened and so elated, but then suddenly she just turned and swiveled towards him and just pointed her little finger right in his face. And she says like, where were you? Where were you four months ago when I was calling for help? Where were you? Mm. And he said, I'll never forget that. Yeah, he that said, how many girls hear. are out there calling for help, but nobody's listening. Mm. This so is, for us at Destiny Rescue, it is, we know we have to go there and look for them. They don't have a way of saying you're right. It, because nobody it's listens. Such, it's such a difficult and, and terrible thing. Do you find that there is almost a disbelief or a disconnect among people? I mean, is it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, it's, it's like a lot of people just don't know of the severity of this problem. And some people just don't want to know. I've, 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 I've been in a, you know, if I could say this, this only happened to me once, I would be so happy. But unfortunately, it's happened quite a few times. I've had people literally in the conversation midway just put their fingers in the ears and say, I don't want to hear this and walked away. Now, I understand mm. some people have gone through through trauma. So I'm not, I'm not bringing in there saying that, oh, they're a horrible person. But I've had literally mm -hmm. just people just, they just don't want to know because they know if they know, there's now suddenly an onus that what are you doing about that knowledge now? What are you mm. doing with that information? Mm -hmm. It's There's a certain it's, accountability so, that comes with that, isn't it? Yes, there is. And so I, and I know, so, so I know there's some people that they just don't want to hear because they knew there is, they can't <laughs> then say, I didn't know. But a lot of people just, you know, innocently just don't know. It's mm. uh, every now and then we'll see in the media, something will come through. But it's it's like when we're in the cold face right there on the ground, we we the reality we see how big the this problem is. But you know our our big goal is is we want to see the end of child tra sex trafficking in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I know it's a huge goal, but you know what? God's a big God, and I, God. and he's and he's placed it on our hearts and each one of us is just so motivated want to see the end of this. Mm. Um, you know, if I can just, you know, and God, you know, in all of this, yes, it's where he's, where we're his hands and where his feet and we're the going into these places, but we've seen so many amazing miracles with, with God's hand on this organization. And, uh, if I might share, uh, like one of the ones is, for example, and we've seen so many, but is in one of our uh, um, uh, operatives in one of the undisclosed nations, um, he's, he's actually a local uh, because there's certain areas 
that we as Western undercover guys can't go into because it's it's just the it's more locals that go into these areas and and there's a real notorious strip in one of these countries that I can't mention in one of their cities where basically it's a whole block and and police don't venture in there um, otherwise they could get killed so it's very mm-hmm. it's 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 a real dangerous environment and but. Our, our guy he, uh, that works for us there is—he's—he's just—he's just absolute radical with his faith, and and he lives in a society where if you would even profess to be a Christian, you could get yourself in serious trouble. So he literally, actually, a lot of times walks with his Bible in his arm. He just—he be- believes he's supposed to be there. God's got him protected, and and so he felt God tell him to go into uh, go into this area where you which is a real one of the most dangerous uh, areas to go into where there's all these brothels and he just prayed and said god well how do i get in there and then um god showed him a specific uh, um a specific brothel owner because what for you to just even have access into this this whole uh, neighborhood you've got to get permission from one of the brothel owners if you don't get permission you don't go in if they find you in there you're in big trouble so so he he applied he, he put the word out that he wanted to meet with this one brothel owner to get permission, and God just opened the door miraculously. He, he got in there and he actually met with this brothel owner face to face, which doesn't happen a lot of times, to ask permission to get in. And the brothel owner was kind of irritated that he was in, said, "Listen, no, I don't want you in here. You're wasting my time." And just before he left, he could see that this guy was actually seriously ill. And and he just looked at him and said, "Sir." You know, I, I see you. I see you're really sick. And the guy go, yeah, what? You know, kind of what of it? And he said, do you mind if I pray to my God for you to be healed? Mm-hmm. And the guy kind of looked at him and thought and said, all right, if this will get you out of my hair, mm-hmm. you can pray for me, type of thing. You know. So he goes and then prays in the name of Jesus Christ for this guy to be healed, and the power of God hits this guy and he's totally healed. So mm-hmm. much he could feel it immediately. His body. And he jumped up and said, what did you do to me? And he said, no, it's not me. It's God that did this. Uh-huh. And this guy is still trying to get his head around it, but then was so so appreciative that he got healed, said, all right, you've got access. You can come in. You know, So didn't accept the Lord, but still said, okay, you can come in. You can come. I'll give you permission. So he started going in and then started rescuing one child after another, after another in this in this notorious area. So much so that a lot of, the other brothel owners started coming to this brothel owner and saying, it's this guy, this guy that you've left in since he's come in here, all these children are disappearing. It's him. And he mm-hmm. just flatly said, Nope, it is not him. And you do not touch him. He's under mm-hmm. my protection. That's how much. Well, uh, that is, that is the God we serve. He's opened up so many amazing miraculous doors for us mm-hmm. because his heart is after each one of these children. Yeah. That's so, you know, I've talked about obviously about some really heavy things and maybe we could talk a little bit now, like once you do have the opportunity to rescue one of these girls mm-hmm. and then what happens next with them. Yes. Yes. Sure. No, thank you so much. Obviously each child is different. So when we rescue them, they go to our rescue centers. We, they get assessed there and then we set them up on an individualized pathway to freedom. So, 
part of that, you know, for, for, for them, uh, some of these, you know, in our rescue center, there's medical help and trauma counsel. But then we set them up an individualized pathway to freedom. And so in the individualized pathway to freedom, each one is different. Each one deal, mm-hmm. it's got different circumstances. So, for example, if they say they want to go back to their family, they want to go back to their village. So a lot of times what we'll, what we'll do is we'll actually we've got community workers that work for us that will go to these villages and first assess, is it safe for the child to go back home? So were the parents involved in the trafficking? Were their family members involved? Is there abuse? If, if all of those things that it wasn't, we work out that wasn't there, it's safe for the child to go back home. We'll actually allow the child to go back home, but we'll, in a lot of cases, we'll actually give them a stipend, uh, like a monetary value to help the family. But then uh, part of that is for the child to stay in school. So, mm-hmm. because education is a real important part in this, it's no sense just rescuing them and putting them back in the same circumstances they, that they, because a lot of times they went looking for work. So we'll help them that way. Others will actually, if it's not safe to go home, we'll actually help them with vocational training in the house. Like for example, in one of our countries in, um, in for example, Cambodia, uh, we've got a, uh, um, We've trained up, uh, um, and we're always updating our programs and changing them. But we were, when I was uh, uh, there, we had an in-house uh, uh, um, beauty therapy school, if I can put it that way. But when we mm-hmm. think beauty therapy in the Western culture, it might have. But basically, what it is, we taught them to become fully-fledged hairdressers be, uh, um, and be able to do manicures and pedicures, um, and so that they could go back to their own village or even be in the city and start up their own little business. And we've, mm-hmm. then we, once they graduated out of that, we'll actually give them the, uh, all the equipment they need and the startup capital to start up their own little business. And mm-hmm. case in point is we, we've had a lot of these girls go through this program, but um, case in point, we had two sisters that we rescued together. And a lot of times these siblings would be separated when they get trafficked, but they were together. We rescued them. They went through two-year course through our, uh, 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 with us. And when they went back to their own village, they went and set up their own little uh, um, uh, um, hair salon, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, you've got to think it in, in the cultural context. When I say mm-hmm. hair salon, it was basically a little wooden shack with the front had a top on it. So when the top was up on top of the roof, it means it's open. If the top was down, it means it's closed. So we're talking real basic in a real basic village. But all the villagers mm-hmm. would actually come to this, this salon and they made enough money not only to look after themselves, but their whole family as well. And mm-hmm. so we, we, try and, we try and make it in such a way that it will work in the environment they're going back to. So if they, for example, stay in the city, we've got different pathways that we set them on. We'll, uh, um, like, for example, in Phnom Penh, there's this um, beautiful patisserie um, that I actually had the opportunity to go to. Um, you know, for those who are listening to audio, they can't see, but I'm a little bit of a big boy, and uh, <laughs> and I like my food. And this patisserie was just absolutely phenomenal. It was a French style patisserie, and they made these fantastic cakes and and cupcakes, and oh, just amazing. And my wife actually, when I came back, she said, no, "You're being banned. You don't go. You're not going back there to that same <laughs> because I, I really enjoyed myself there." Yeah. But what they do is, is for those schools that want to, they'll take some of our girls that, if that's the direction they want to go into, they'll actually take them and train them up to come, become fully fledged patisserie chefs. 
Mm-hmm. And and then once they finish training there and they qualify, they can either stay and have a job there. But a lot of them actually get there's a demand for them through the city uh, um, because the quality of chefs that they're producing out of that uh, out of that patisserie that they easily get jobs with other uh, more upmarket restaurants in Cambodia mm-hmm. in Phnom Penh and Cambodia. Um, and then we we had another case where one of our girls in our center was you know she was. There was nothing that was grabbing her attention uh, that, that, that she really wanted to go into. And so we were trying to for, work out for her what's the best pathway that, that you know, what's the pathway that uh, the right pathway for her. And we saw our, one of our social workers that we're dealing with her saw in her, in her quiet time because, uh, um, you know, they'll have classes and they'll have education classes, a whole bunch of stuff going on in there, and even, you know, worship time. But in her quiet time when she was on her own, saw that she was just doing these beautiful drawings. And we realized mm-hmm. that is her key. And so what we did is we, we've, uh, um, we found an art school in the city. And it was a, a, the, arts, uh, um, the art school was like in the Japanese style of art. And so we, we, we got that, for, we enrolled her in that. And she really, uh, she really excelled and worked hard and did well. And then when she finished with that, we said, all right, we've got to find for you a job now. And and right at that time, we 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 found out that there was an international company that was setting up a digital art studio, a digital sorry digital animation studio in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And when we found that out, we we actually organised for her to get a, a um, interview because they were taking a certain amount of interns in. So and mm-hmm. and she went for an interview very nervously, but did so well. They actually gave her a full time internship. So that they could train her up into to to how to do digital animation on computers and everything, and through her internship she did so well she ended up getting a full time job there. Oh, that and so great! This yeah, so this is just one of many examples of where our girls end up with. Um, if I can also maybe just share you this story, why I like sharing this mm-hmm. one is 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 it involves actually, and I had the privilege to go undercover with them is our head of our all our international rescues, and. Um, we give him different names, but um, for this case, we'll just call him da- a demo. So demo, um, he went. He set it all up. Uh, 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 he brought in pretty early on that once once these children are rescued and and these individuals are rescued and they taken to um, because you know, like I said before, we rescue children, but we also come across adults that are uh, that need rescue. So we'll rescue them as well. It's just like a lifesaver swimming. When you're drowning in the ocean, a lifesaver doesn't swim up to you and say, hey, how old are you? And you go like, <laughs> I'm 21. So it's sorry, too old, and then swims back. Yeah. If we come across trafficked individuals, and even if they're adults, we'll rescue them at the same time as well. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, so, uh, um, so he put in place that once these trafficked individuals come to our rescue centers, that that's the last contact point that the undercover agents would have with them. It's to protect the girls, um, but also obviously the agent's identity as well, because they're going back the next day to rescue more and more. So, you know, the, we felt for a safety point of view that it was good to create that that difference. So once they dropped off, it's the social workers and the and the and, and the carers and the community workers that take over at the rescue centres. And that's the last time they have any interaction with these girls as the rescue agents. So mm-hmm. uh, fast forward a couple of years down, you know, quite a few years down the road, 
he he had a bit of a crisis point in his life. He was kind of I would say probably half burnt out and and um, just you know just was having a real dialogue with God and said, God, you know, I know we're making a difference, but are we making it? It was just a crisis point in his own life because all he's seeing the whole time is rescuing, you know, rescuing. He's not seeing the other component because we purposely created that barrier between so yeah. to protect our girls' identities and everything. And so he was, um, and he had to, he traveled from North Thailand to Bangkok because he, and it was, he got there in the evening around 12 o'clock in the evening because the next morning early he had to fly out to one of our undisclosed nations. And in this undisclosed nations, circum, you know, circumstances are very tough. It's real tough conditions and you see real dark side of humanity. And, and he just was not, he didn't want to go. He said, I was having just a real bad moment. And, so he was staying staying in this little motel close to the airport, is a real industrial area around the you know, around the airport, and 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 he and he's staying in this motel, and he's thirsty, and he's going, oh, you know, he remembered there was a Seven Eleven that was open down the road. He remembered seeing it when he when he got to, got to to his motel. So he thought, all right, he'll go there. So he's still struggling here, you know, and so he's walking, kind of kicking stones down the road, and just kind of complaining to God and just say, God, I don't feel like going. I'm tired. And, you know, are we making a difference? I know, yes, my mind says yes, but my heart needs to hear the yes. I'm just, I'm battling. And so he's, he's having this dialogue with God and he's walking towards the 7-Eleven. And under the view of the 7-Eleven's lights, you know, he could see two figures there, but, you know, standing but he could see them kind of focusing towards him but he can't you know he still can't see who really it is it's just seeing these dark figures and as he's walking towards closer to the 7-eleven next minute these two figures start running towards him. and basically as they were really on top of him he saw it was two girls and they just launched right on top of him and just gave mm. him this big hug and and just called and just went like demo demo and just gave him this big hug and he's like bit confused but he recognized them <laughs> and then recognized that he had rescued these two girls five years before in northern mm. thailand five years and here they are in bangkok and he's like you know and he's like oh my goodness he said what are you girls doing here at one o'clock in the morning what are you doing here? and his heart nearly sunk he's like oh no you know that they somehow fall through what are they doing in this industrial area and and mm. And and they and they looked at him and said, Oh, didn't you know? And he says, No, what? And they and they point and they said, Well, when you after you dropped us off and we went through through our program there at Destiny Rescue, Destiny Rescue paid for us to become nurses. And we've just come off from our ship from the hospital, and they pointed. And he could see the hospital just down the road, the, the sign of the hospital. He said, We just finished with our ship working as nurses. And he was like, Oh my goodness. And and then right at that moment, so for him, it was such a clear yes from God. God set up this whole thing to show. And he said it was so clearly God was saying, this is why you're doing what you're doing. It's mm. for these lives. And, and, and to top it off as well, at that moment, this couple started walking towards them. And he realized that these girls were actually with this couple. And these girls swiveled around to the couple and said, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy we were telling you about. And at that mm. moment, at, with him walking towards 7-Eleven, they were telling this couple their story about how they were trafficked and they were rescued. And oh, they were really? talking about this man that rescued them. And here he walks at one o'clock in the morning 
<laughs> walks right up to them out of out of basically out of the, in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. God just you know it's one of those God moments, just so beautifully set it up Put that it for for Damo he needed to that was like a a, a stake in the ground that he knew I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and what I do matters. Yeah. That that would have been quite an experience for him, no doubt. Oh, it it, it mm. is. It was a pivotal, pivotal moment in his life. Mm. Now you when you rescue girls and they go through um the programs that you guys have for them, is is what's the success rate like for that? Um yes, our, our success rate um uh, is is we're we're around the eighty four percent of girl, mm. uh, all um, rescued individuals that that go on to if I can say a better life never never end up um, in the sex industry again. There's nine mm. percent of the remaining sixteen uh, percent is uh, is we've lost contact and we lose mm. contact over time. Some get married, change mobile numbers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Then the other, we there is a small percentage that somehow find their way back. And when we come across them, their paths, we rescue them again. Like when I was in um, with the permanent undercover team there in Thailand, uh, we were in Padia. We actually came that night across a girl. She recognized one of our guys. Um, we had rescued her. Uh, mm-hmm. She went back home. Her parents weren't involved, weren't involved in the trafficking at all. So it was safe for her to go home. Um, but her mom one day just told her, sit, and, and, and I might just retract, step back. We never tell the parents where we find the children. Okay. It's up to the children where they want to open up to their parents and tell them. Mm-hmm. Because in some, some of these communities, these children will get rejected. Mm-hmm. They would, might even get vilified. Um, and some actually, it's quite dangerous for them to say what happened. Because in like one of our undisclosed nations, we rescued a girl. Um, she was trafficked, rescued her. Um, when her brother found out what she went through, he put a head out on her to get killed just to protect the family name. Oh, yeah. Some... It's so, so for us, we, yeah. when we communicate with the families, we just say we're a benevolent organization. They asked us for help. And that's, that's all we basically say. Mm-hmm. We, we don't give any further yeah. details. So, so yes, there's, it's so to back to my story. So this girl that we actually met that night, uh, um, she, and she openly told us. Her, her mom basically told her. She told her mom what 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 she went through. But her mom just one day said, well, "I need a new fridge. You need to go out to this, go out and find work. And that's the only place I can see you working is going back into the brothels." Mm. But we we rescued her again. It's yeah. yeah. We we've well, rescued sounds, someone. I mean, it sounds like you guys have a really good, very high success rate. Um, we do. And part of that is also part of our success rate is bringing the gospel. It's, it's amazing when you're actually a lot of these countries, uh, a lot of these uh, countries who operate and you don't have to explain to them that there's a spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. They know it. They've experienced it. And a lot of times they've experienced the real dark side or a bad side of it. A uh, f- lot of fear, like in Buddhism, a lot of these girls are controlled not only by physical controls and by manipulations and, and all these other things we had discussed before, but also they manipulate them even by, you know, putting curses on them and saying, mm-hmm. if you leave, this is going to happen and this is going to happen to your family, etc. And sometimes you'll be in these, even in these bars and halfway, the girls will suddenly stop at a bell will ring and they'll be doing these prayers and throw rice on the ground just to try and ward off 
bad and bring blessings on themselves. So it's just, just to see that. But then to see once these girls get rescued and when they accept Christ as their savior, to see the freedom that comes to them in so many levels. So suddenly you've got girls that would be terrorized at night with their dreams. Suddenly they've got this peace that comes over them and that they, they've got these beautiful, you know, beautiful dreams that any child should have. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with them also learning the authority that Jesus is the name above all names. And then also learning their authority with the, 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 the power of his blood. And just to see them walk in that freedom as well is part of our success, right? Is mm-hmm. that, yes, it's all these other things, but that's part of the, I really believe a real important integral part is they're getting set free in all areas and yeah. therefore they stay free. And we've, we've had even, you know, we're, you know, if I can maybe just like in the Philippines, for example, we had this one girl, we found her in a bar and our undercover guy, part of, you know, he was just talking to her. So she just thinks he's a guy coming there for to have sex with her. And, and in their small talk, he just asked her, what music do you listen to? And she just pops up and says, worship music. Hmm. He said, what do you mean worship music? And she let him listen to it. And this was like a Christian song she was listening mm-hmm. to. And he was like, you know, and then he was like, man, we've got to rescue this girl quickly and find out her story. And we, and anyway, we ended up rescuing and found out her story. And what it was that she was actually, uh, her family weren't Christians, but she was a Christian girl. But then mm-hmm. her parents were like, you've got to find us work and, and, and you've got to find work and we need money urgently and basically forced her out. And then she found herself being, you know, trafficked in working in this, 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 this bar selling a body, teenage body to guys flying in from all over the world. Mm. And when we rescued her, she was just so praising the Lord and saying, God answered my prayers. God answered my prayers, you know, mm-hmm. but long story short is she's now back she's in church and she's a worship leader wow. of her congregation. Yeah. God that's, is, that's God is just story. amazing redemptive God. And, mm. and, and he knows, he knows all our pathways and he knows every intricacy of our lives. And he's got a dream and desire for each one of these children. Yeah. That's yeah. You guys are doing an incredible work and I'm, I'm, I'm sure when somebody hears all of this, if they, you know, are willing to listen and, and recognize that, you know, this is something we need le- to address. What, what, and somebody comes to you, Mark, and says, you know, what can I do? What would you say to well, them? Well, foremost for us is because we've been doing it for 19 years, we've got a lot of infrastructure and a lot of things are in place. You know, we've, we've built it up over time. Um, so for us, it's literally money equals rescues. So donations is the first point I would say, donations, whether it's monthly or one of giving monthly at least helps where, where it helps us to budget even better. And we know there's X amount of income coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who come on a monthly program, it's not like they sign up for 12 months. It's they can cancel after whatever, you know, even during COVID, we found a lot of our donors and said, listen, if you're battling financially, stop giving, look after your family. But God just fortunately had put us in that position that we could actually do that. But our, he's just been so faithful uh, with for us. But yeah, donations. So the monthly giving is really important. It's what we call rescue partners. 
that's a real good starting point for people. If they go onto our website, they can find donations. They can go rescue partner or monthly donations. And then if there's people that want to give on larger amounts, like I said, to rescue one child is 1,500, to do actual, to fund a whole uh, um, raid rescue, which shuts the place down, uh, perpetrators get taken into custody and the, everybody gets uh, set free that have been trafficked in that establishment. Those cost on average $10,000, sometimes cheaper, sometimes more, but our CFO worked it out on average is about $10,000. And then the other thing is, is share this podcast, share it with people, you know, get, get the word out there. Uh, um, because the more people know about it, the more people will actually start taking action about it. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, be willing to talk about it. Like mm-hmm. I, I got the, Opportunity to speak at a, a at, at, at a university here in Australia, um, and afterwards I had this one student hanging around, and, and she and I could see she wanted to come and talk to me. So I, I spoke to her, and, and she said, "I never knew this was a thing, but I have an uncle that travels four to five times a year to to Thailand, and we never know why he's going there. We don't see any pictures of holidays, anything. He just travels there for." couple of weeks at a time and then comes back and she said i'm gonna flat out to straight ask him i know he loves me and so therefore i can go and ask him what are you doing Mm -hmm. and for me it is just those cases where people are willing to take that real brave step and ask individuals in their lives why are you going there we don't see any pictures of holiday events or anything what are you really doing there and so for me if that's one person that gets turned around then that was worth it, just speaking at that university. So it's finances for us, obviously, that's our lifeline. Mm-hmm. Like we said at the beginning, we don't get money from for, for, from governments or any other you know, establishments like that. It's donations. But for me, it's like my journey started actually off. My wife and I were donors first. That's how we got introduced to this risk. We were donors. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it is... It is while I was working away doing my work, I knew that the money I was donating, although I was doing a work that, you know, in normal average job, but I knew my donations were making a difference in a child's life. So mm. it's all the body working together. Yes, I might not, not everybody can go and do the undercover work or work with, but everybody can donate and let those finances make a difference and only in eternity will we one day realize what a difference it made yeah that's so, so true and you know and, and i think i really think that for some of us i mean <laughs> we we may not feel that way but realistically in in most of western culture we're we're extravagantly wealthy i mean you've, you've seen oh, places in the world and i mean we really yes. do have money to give and yes it's, it's, you know, and that's a powerful thing. You can, it can do a lot. It's not, it's not nothing for sure. Yes, that's right. And, and for me, it's like, and I agree with you because I've myself come from South Africa and I've seen, you know, seen how a lot of people live there and I've been in other parts of Africa and I've been in other parts in, in, in Asia and different countries. Is I think we live, especially those that live in Australia and America and England and those places, we live, we're probably in the top 2% of the world, especially, you know, for me and you in Australia, we've got so many things that we take for granted, but it's until you actually go to these countries and realize 
that what we see as little is a lot there. And that's the thing. It's like, uh, for, for me, it's, if it means cut out two cups of coffee, uh, uh, you know, two, a cup of coffee a week or a couple of coffees a month, what is that in the mm-hmm. bigger scheme of things? But if that means that brings it, brings an awesome massive change in somebody's destiny, it's so much worth it. Yeah, it's money well spent for sure. Yes. For sure. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. I, I see it as a real honor. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and no, I really appreciate it. You're, you're a great guest. You, you talk and talk and talk, which is, makes it so easy for me. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> well, not too much, but no. I can, I can t- we do so much. I can talk for hours about what we do, yeah. but sometimes I've got to catch myself. Yeah. Well, and that's a wonderful thing about a podcast too. You're not really limited by time or subject. You can just do whatever you want. You know, it's, it's really yes, nice yes, in yes. No, but I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I see it as a real honor and, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And what's your website again before we finish? So it's www.destinyrescue.org.au. So, or internationally, www.destinyrescue.org. So, okay. Both both of them work. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Mark. Um, Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing, and we'll definitely keep in touch. Thank you for coming along on our journey today. I'm thankful for you and the valuable time you've spent with us. I'm hoping and praying for good things and many blessings for you and all that you do. I look forward to getting together with you again soon. Until then, this is Chris Miller, the host of PC Speaking, signing off and I bid